It is an honor for me to deliver my inaugural lecture in this great university of ours, the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology, the world's best in quality education delivery. It is indeed a great pleasure that several colleagues of mine, advisors, friends, and family have returned to Kumasi, some from quite far distances, to be part of this occasion. The title of my inaugural lecture, Transport Poverty in Africa, Planning for Our Mobility Futures in an Era of Sustainability, has apparently intrigued and perhaps even puzzled some of you. If that is the case, it is my hope that by the end of this lecture, much would have been clarified. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, as a young boy growing up, I was privileged to have had my secondary education in one of Ghana's best secondary schools, Pope John Secondary and Junior Secondary. <laughs> traveling, traveling to school from Tema through the Kriapim Mountains was characterized by waking up at 4 a.m. to catch the first Peugeot 504 vehicle. 30 minutes late meant I had to wait at the bus terminal for about six hours before catching the next available vehicle. With time, I came to realize that the practice which was normal to me during the three-year period was rather my first experience of being transport poor. And just like myself, I'm certain that many of you here have experienced transport poverty without realizing it. The journey in charting my research path began during the third year of my undergraduate years when I took the course PL357, Transportation Planning. Specifically, this interest was developed when my colleagues and I had the opportunity to get involved in the student project work. Our task was to examine the effects of the activities of commercial drivers at Mecca, and Mecca is our teaching area of the university. One of our recommendations was to restrict the movement of these commercial vehicles to Mecca because of the externalities associated with the work that they do. And this included noise pollution and safety challenges. The proposal, which was subsequently implemented by the then university management, made me realize that I had contributed in solving real life challenges. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, in December 2004, I got the opportunity to enroll in the staff development program of the Vice Chancellor to pursue my postgraduate studies. My PhD research topic, Determinants of Urban Transport Services Pricing in Ghana, helped pin down my research interest in transportation. Between 2005 and 2008, while pursuing my PhD, I was privileged to be part of the Vision Consults team that took part in the World Bank-funded research in the impact of transport investment on poverty reduction in the then five regions of Ghana. This study made me appreciate in practice the importance of road projects to communities, households, and individuals' efforts in reducing poverty and sustaining livelihood. When I joined the Department of Planning as a lecturer in February 2009, I continued the journey of building my research path with an emphasis on transport, land use planning, and their interrelationship. 
As a young scholar, I became fascinated with anything transport related, and most of my research output reflected this interest and has been so ever. In April 2016, I got the opportunity to be selected as one of the Professional Residence Fellows of the Rockefeller Foundation Program in Bellagio, Italy. During my residency, I had the privilege of sharing my research titled, Formalizing the Informal Public Transport Sector in Ghana Through Informal Organizations, with a team of varied professionals in music, choreography, health, architecture, literature, and poetry. The diversity of the team at the residency enabled me to appreciate further the importance of transportation from a multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary perspective. I once again got the opportunity to be awarded the Commonwealth Academic Fellowship Program at the Institute for Transport Studies at the University of Leeds in the UK. During that period, I spent time examining the framework for effective governance of public transport service delivery in Ghana. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, all these experiences helped me in consolidating my research path as an academic. And I quote in a distinguished professor of urban and regional planning, Professor Enoch Okoko, that transportation is as old as man himself. It started with Adam's movement away from home, giving Lucifer the opportunity to persuade Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. <laughs> Genesis chapter three, verses one to seven. Verse eight further states, and I quote, God used the most, one of the oldest and one of the most efficient modes of transportation walking. It reads, that evening, they heard the Lord God walking in the garden and they hid from him among the trees. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, since then, several modes of transportation have evolved to facilitate the movement of goods and passengers and to facilitate poverty reduction efforts of households. To help us appreciate the importance of poverty and mobility, I want to state that poverty is one of the greatest challenges of humanity and the dominant discourse in development thinking, especially in developing countries. It is key as it remains number one of the Sustainable Development Goals and a priority area of African Union's Agenda 2063. Although there is no universally agreed definition of what poverty is, the concept is concerned with the inability of individuals to assess and afford different services. Research has revealed that close to 900 million people around the world today are in severe poverty, based on the poverty line criteria of $1.90 per person per day, updated to $2.15 per person per day in September 2022 by the World Bank. The World Bank further states that between 75 million to 90 million people have been plunged into extreme poverty, mainly due to COVID-19 and the war in Iraq, Ukraine, sorry. The concept and operationalization of poverty have evolved to include non-income dimensions, even though there are varied views on the phenomenon. For example, what poverty is to someone in Canada is different from what it is to someone in Burundi. Todaro and Smith 
have highlighted some of the voices of the poor on what poverty is, and I want to present a few of them. From a man in Kenya, this is what he thinks poverty is. Don't ask me what poverty is because you have met it outside my house. Look at the house and count the number of holes. Look at the utensils and the clothes I'm wearing. Look at everything and write what you see. What you see is poverty. A woman from Uganda also had this to say. When one is poor, she has no say in public. She feels inferior. She has no food, so there is famine in her house. No clothing and no progress in her family. To a visually impaired person in Moldova, poverty is, for a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, humiliation, shame. We are crippled. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. Similarly, Professor Chair Distinguished Guest, in my study to profile the poor in selected districts in Ghana, I highlighted some of the voices of the poor, and I want to present two of them. For an old man in Kato, in the Upper West region, poverty simply means that, and this is how he quotes it, have you experienced poverty before, my son? Never reach that for anyone. It actually deforms you, kills your inner spirit, and above all, make you a laughing stock. In a society where only the rich matter, you sometimes wonder if it is worth living. And the most interesting one was from a 55-year-old man in Insoko in the Tain district, and this is what he said. My brother, for me, Poverty is my inability to buy new clothes for my children at the end of the year and not being able to marry a second wife. <laughs> Distinguished guests, these voices suggest that poverty is multidimensional and moves beyond income and lack of material goods. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, figure one, as seen on the map there, so on the slide there, presents the incidence of poverty in Ghana. The darker the color, the more pronounced the incidence of poverty. Wild West, in the Upper West region, is the poorest in the country with an incidence of over 89.9%. Bulsa North, Bulsa South, Nanumba North, Nanumba South, and Adaklo come next with an incidence between 80% and 89.9%. Accra Metropolis and Kumasi Metropolis are the least poor with rates below 10%. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, an alternative way to visualize the spatial distribution of poverty is through the number of poor individuals as seen in figure two. Remote, rural, and isolated areas may have a higher headcount rate they may have few people living there due to the size of the population. In contrast, the poverty rate may be low in urban areas, but it may be home to many poor people. Kumasi Metropolis is a good example of the contrast between the headcount rate and the number of those poor. It has one of the lowest headcount rates, which is 5.3% in 
in the country, but ranks second highest in the number of poor persons estimated at 88,935, according to the statistical survey. Another approach to visualizing poverty is using the depth of poverty. Depth of poverty measures how much below the poverty line the poor standard of living is. The lower the depth of poverty, the closer the poor are to the poverty line, and vice versa. As seen in figure three, the depth of poverty is also the highest in areas with high headcount rates. This means poverty in this region is not only widespread, but also entrenched. For the purpose of this lecture, and to help understand the phenomenon, I've used some theories to explain the causes of poverty, and I present a few. The first is the theory of cultural ties and belief systems. This theory, Professor Chair Distinguished Guest, is rooted in the culture of poverty and dwells on the assertion that poverty is created by the transmission of certain cultural values, belief, and skill that are generated socially but held individually from one generation to another. In other words, if your grandfather or father is poor, the chances are that you will become poor because of the norms, the belief, and the values handed down to you. This position, however, is criticized for blaming the poor for their situation and for assuming that the poor have a distinct subculture that perpetuates poverty. This is because the poor have the chance to learn the ways of the rich to break the shackles of poverty and deprivation. And they do this through special interactions, which are facilitated through transport and mobility. The second theory is the theory of individual deficiencies. And this theory argues that individuals are responsible for their poverty situation. So if you are poor, you are the cause of your own poverty. Proponents argue that virtue, hard work, and talent can lead to abundance. Hence, poverty should be viewed as the individual's inability to be successful. The third and final theory is the theory of geographical disparity. And this theory asserts that poverty is caused by geographical disparities between different regions, towns, and neighborhoods. And, and giving rise to the emergence of what they call the geography of poverty. In other words, certain areas are more resource endowed than others. And consequently, the people from all neighborhoods who achieve a certain level of success, for instance, in education, tend to migrate out of these localities, thus leaving certain neighborhoods poor. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, in our everyday life or conversation, we implicitly or explicitly refer to the problem of transport poverty. We are all very familiar with transport in our everyday life. Hardly a day goes by without using at least one of the various modes of transport, such as walking and cycling. Transport has been extensively described in literature as the engine of mobility, without which special interaction and economic activities within and between urban areas and other geographical areas cease to exist. Authors have also argued about the importance of transport to urban growth as it influences the pattern of growth. For example, the commencement of the development of the Asofa Road Interchange in 2001 
saw major shifts in the land use conversion and development by 2011 along the corridor in both Asuba and Akundu, as seen in Figure 4. Providing transport infrastructure or reducing barriers to travel, which results in transport poverty and social exclusion, can serve as an important strategy for addressing poverty. This is because an efficient and reliable transport system widens the range of opportunities for employment and education among others. Professor Chair, in this lecture, I have adopted the definition espoused by Lucas et al. in 2016, which indicates that an individual is transport poor if to satisfy the daily basic activity needs at least one of the following conditions apply. So please, you are here, and one of these points affects you, then you are transport poor. The first is that when there is literally no transport option available that is suited to your physical condition and capabilities. The second is that when the existing transport options do not reach destinations where you can fulfill your daily activity needs in order to maintain a reasonable quality of life. The third is that when your weekly amount spent on transport leaves your households with a residual income below the official poverty line. And then four, when you, suspend, you spend an excess amount sorry, of time traveling, including waiting time, leading to time poverty or social isolation. And finally, when the prevailing travel conditions are dangerous, unsafe, or unhealthy for you. Ironically, across many African cities, including Accra and Kumasi, the unreliability of the transport system limits access to services, businesses, and employment opportunities, among others. In addition, the non-uniform spatial distribution of land use and transport network results in unequal access to destinations, and this makes people transport poor. It must be noted, however, that transport poverty is not just in the developing world. Transport poverty exists in wealthy Europe too. For example, Sostran in 2012 has estimated that nearly 1.5 million people in England are at risk of suffering from transport poverty. To Lucas et al. in 2016, the report by Sostran combines three aspects of transport poverty, which are applicable in cities in sub-Saharan Africa. So if you escape the first five, and you live in a neighborhood that has these three conditions, then you can be classified as living in a neighborhood which is transport poor. The first are areas of low income where the cost of running a car will place a significant strain on your household budget. The second is areas where it takes over an hour to assess essential goods and services, either by walking, cycling, or public transport. And then finally, where you live in an area where a significant proportion of residents live more than 1.6 kilometers from their nearest bus stop or railway station, then you are transport poor. Professor Chair, distinguished guests, to highlight the incidence of transport poverty in Ghana and Africa, I have selected some indicators to illuminate the scenery. These indicators are related to the SDGs and are used generally in measuring the phenomenon. 
The first indicator is the proportion of monthly income and monthly expenditure on transportation. Transport affordability as a measure of poverty focuses on the inability of people to afford the cost of transportation. If a household spends more than 10% of its income on transportation-related expenses, it is deemed transport poor. According to Ajima et al. in 2019, in Accra and Kumasi, two daily trips cost 60% and 48.5% of a typical family's daily income, respectively. Overall, about 20.3% of Ghanaian households spend 15% of their entire income on transportation. And if we just oppose this with the threshold of 10%, we can comfortably argue that 20.3% of Ghanaian households are transport poor. According to the Ghana Statistical Service, 35% of Ghanaian households have indicated that the most important problem is high transportation fares. This is particularly pronounced among the middle class households as they spend the most, 15.9%, on transportation. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, my study in 2022 on household travel patterns in Accra and Kumasi revealed that to mitigate the impact of high expenditure on transport, 64.4% of the respondents resorted to walking, usually over 60 minutes a day, to work. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, my study among school children in the Adenta municipality also revealed that 63.7% and 65.5% of the house of school children walk to and from school respectively on a daily basis. It is important to note that walking in itself is encouraged, but the lack of good pedestrian infrastructure makes this mode unsafe to many, primarily the low-income people. The next indicator is the number of trips per day by an individual or a household. Data from the National Transport Survey indicate that households with high traffic generation levels on the average make between 11 and 13 trips per day, while those with low traffic generation levels on the average make between one and four trips per day. My study of trip-making characteristics in Kumasi revealed that high-income households made about 35% more trips than those in the lower-income category. This is particularly so because people who are deemed low income or poor tend to minimize or they forego what they term expensive trips. And this sometimes contribute to social exclusion, which is an attestation of transport poverty. The next indicator is access to public transport routes. A champion et al. in 2022 in examining access to public transport routes in Accra found out that within a threshold of five minutes of walking, the total area with access to public transport stops was relatively smaller at 37%, compared to that of the available public transport access routes in city. The findings of a champion et al. suggest that potential reachability to both public transport routes and station is poor, thus making individuals within five minutes or more walking time to assess public transport routes or stations transport poor. In other words, if you are here and you walk for more than 30 minutes without assessing a public transport station, 
then you can be classified as transport poor. The emergence of new estates, informalities, ferry urbanization, among others, have made these increasingly large areas inaccessible by public transport in our major cities. Individuals who experience this form of poverty are confronted with the common practice where public transport operators increase fares during peak periods, and I'm sure some of you have experienced that before. Or if you are going to a peripheral community, they will want to charge more, to levels significantly higher than what they would have usually charged or are permitted to charge. It is important for us to note that this practice worsens the accessibility challenges faced by such individuals. The next indicator is vehicle ownership. Developed countries such as the United States have 837 per, per thousand people respectively owning motor vehicles. Within Sub-Saharan Africa, South Africa has 165 per thousand people, while in Ghana, the figure is estimated as 33 per thousand people. According to Ankama and Srinivasan, 69.8% of households in Ghana do not own a vehicle. And this large proportion implies that the only option available to them is public transport and walking. However, it is instructive to note that 54.1% of households in Ghana are not satisfied with public transport availability in their communities. They cite long delays and unpredictable schedules as the main reason. Also, according to the Ghana Statistical Service, about 34.7% of Ghanaians have never traveled by bus before. And when I read this, I was shocked that we have 34.7% of our populace who have never traveled by bus. And this implies that the only option available to them is to walk. And this compounds the constraints that are associated with their activities. The next is access to social amenities. And here I present two indicators, health and education. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, the WHO expects an individual to travel not more than eight kilometers to assess healthcare. Kara et al. in 2017 reported that the likelihood of stillbirth is 26.6% higher for kids whose mothers live more than 10 kilometers away from the nearest health facility. In Nigeria, Benkat Thomas et al. in 2021 also found that women who, live, who had live births travel on the average 7.3 kilometers while those with stillbirth traveled beyond 8.5 kilometers. In Ghana, the mean Euclidean distance from all localities to the closest secondary health facility is 10.74 kilometers. And this is according to Ashabo et al. in 2020. And this figure is 2.74 kilometers longer than the WHO threshold. Data from the National Transport Survey indicate that 60.6% of Ghanaians spend 30 minutes or more to assess a health facility. According to the Ministry of Roads and Highways, Ministry of Transport, and the Ghana Statistical Service, the main transport issues that further deepen transport access to health facility and transport poverty include difficulty in getting a vehicle to assess health facilities, long waiting times, and longer distances. 
This highlights some significant disparities in assessing healthcare, and these disparities imply that those who are transport poor suffer the most. The next is education. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, for children to be mobile and receive an equitable education, the distance between school and home is essential. The length and quality of a student's trip to school may have an impact on his or her engagement and academic performance. The distances between, the distances students in Europe on the average travel to elementary school across all settlement type was less than five kilometers. And this is according to the European Commission Joint Research Center in 2021. However, in Kumasi, many school children start their journeys far from the city, with a documented average distance of 14 kilometers, according to Aduma Samoa et al. 2015. The finding from Kumasi is applicable to most urban centers in Ghana, and this has been compounded by the traffic congestion along the major arterials. In addition, the typical commuting time for high school students in the Philadelphia districts is assessed to be 28.9 minutes. In South Africa, it is 59 minutes. However, in Ghana, Aduma Samoa et al. in 2015 reported an average of 90 minutes, citing the dispersed location of these school children and the challenges they encounter daily to assess education. The last indicator is externalities. And here I present exposure to, in terms of noise, pollution, and traffic-related fatalities and severe injuries. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, about 80% of Ghana's air pollution is caused by the sooting of its car fleet. The WHO has estimated that illness caused by ambient air pollution in Accra alone accounts for roughly 3,000 fatalities each year. In addition, dust from road construction also contributes substantially to air pollution. As of 2016, the WHO annual recommended threshold of 10 grams per cubic meter had been substantially exceeded by the annual mean of 31.1. And this raises the risk of respiratory illness, according to the WHO. According to the World Bank in 2019, the annual loss from traffic-related fatalities and severe injuries in Ghana totaled $4.55 billion, or 8.3% of the country's GDP. The economically active group, that is those between the ages of 15 and 64, is affected the most with more than 70% of traffic-related deaths and injuries affecting people in this group. In addition, the most vulnerable of all road users are pedestrians, who make up 43% of total fatalities recorded. According to the National Road Safety Commission, among pedestrians, which make up 43% of total fatalities, child victims account for up to 31%. In addition, between 2014 and 2016, about 9% of casualties recorded in Ghanaian towns and cities involved children below the age of 16 and were mostly in schools, with school age, ages ranging between six and 15 years. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, with the existing challenge of poor infrastructure and inadequate pedestrian crossing facilities, 
and a greater proportion of school children going to school by foot, it can be deduced that most of our school children are transport poor due to their exposure to the risk of a road traffic collision. As stated earlier, when the prevailing travel, travel conditions are dangerous, unsafe, or unhealthy for an individual, then he or she is said to be transport poor. And this fear of being knocked down is a concern of most parents. In one of my studies in Adenta, Accra, a parent had this to say, and I quote, every time I come to school in the morning to drop my kids or my children or to pick them up in the afternoon, you'll find other children trying to cross the road without any assistance. I sometimes stop other drivers to allow them to cross. I always get scared and I have informed the school authorities and tabled this in one of the parents Teachers Association meetings, but I think nothing has been done. And Professor Chair, with this, I want to add that when I stay at the graduate school and I see the students rushing to board our buses, I get scared. And this is a, a reflection of what some of the parents experience. Professor Chair, distinguished guests, of the proportion who walk to school to test, walk unaccompanied. And this is because both parents of these children are actively working and they are unable to accompany their children every day. This phenomenon exposes the children to danger due to their limited capacity to evaluate risk. In instances where parents hire commercial drivers to drop their children at school, some of these drivers drop off these children at the entrances of the school, thus endangering their lives. And a parent had an experience to share, and I quote, I arranged with a taxi driver to drop off and pick up my children from school. However, I decided to stop the practice because my last child, who was seven years, was knocked down by another taxi driver who was in a hurry to drop some other children at school, injuring my boy. It was a nightmare for me. This happened because the driver I hired dropped my kids at the entrance of the school as he was in a hurry to pick another passenger to town. I have now de decided to do it myself, even though it is very stressful at times. It is worthy sacrifice I must make just for the safety of my children. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, recognizing this problem, the government of Ghana, through the revised national transport policy of 2020, commits to continuously invest in transport infrastructure and subsidize transport services that provide mainly social and environmental benefits, particularly to the poor and physically challenged. However, past experience has shown that we have not been very successful. The government of Ghana's free bus ride for school children initiated and launched in 2006 to provide access to free bus ride service to school children in uniform up to the junior high school level could not be sustained for obvious reasons, funding. According to Yobo, by the time that the program ended, a record total of 32 million free rides to and from school for this vulnerable population had been recorded. Even though it was an important initiative, it did not cover rides for pleasure, lengthy journeys, or weekend transit involving the same group of children. 
It also did not cover school age or school children who were not enrolled in uniform or who were not wearing, who were not enrolled in school or were not wearing school uniform. This implied that the mobility needs of these children were not met by the initiative and the inability to sustain the project aggravated the mobility challenges of our children. Professor Chair, compared to fixed rail, which is more expensive and difficult for developing countries to finance, bus rapid transit is thought to offer a considerable more affordable option for public transportation. BRT adoption, however, has been difficult in many African cities. Ghana's intention to introduce a BRT in Accra began with a trial in 2012, but could not be sustained. However, a bus service, what we popularly call Ayalolo, was introduced in 2016 over a 22-kilometer circuit. After losing money and having drivers protest about their unpaid wages, the new bus service folded in 2018 due to minimal ridership. Professor Chair, distinguished guests, our BRT system started at the same time as our counterparts in Tanzania, Dar es Salaam. Whilst Ghana's project could not see the light of day, the project in Tanzania became a success and currently has 305 buses, carries 300,000 passengers daily, and became the first African city to win the Sustainable Transport Award in 2018. Deducing from the outcome of these two initiatives of the government of Ghana, it will not be far-fetched to conclude that transport poverty is going to stay with us for a very long time to come, unless some drastic interventions are carefully planned and implemented. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, what future we will be confronted with will easily and essentially be based on the strategy we adopt today. We can either go the do-nothing scenario or the conscious journey scenario. When I say do-nothing, it's a strategy for decision-making that may appear cheaper and less laborious as it allows the status quo to perpetuate itself. So all that we need to do is fold our arms and allow the status quo to go on. Even though the strategy may be useful in certain instances, addressing the challenges associated with transport poverty cannot be one of such instances, as this would imply longer travel time, air and noise pollution, traffic injuries, and high fares, among others. This future should not be what we should envisage. This is because the consequences will put a lot more people in the transport poverty domain and make Ghana's poverty reduction effort a Herculean task. And to meet the demands of the future, I propose the following recommendations. The first is that the Ministry of Transport and the Land Use and Spatial Planning Authority should work to implement an integrated land use and transport planning regime that has improving access as the overriding priority. Historically, the planning regime in Ghana has not been able to address all our concerns, primarily because of its weaknesses in managing urban growth. As shown by several studies, unfettered and unplanned growth leads to unsustainable outward expansion, and this pushes the limited public transport infrastructure and urban opportunities further away 
from the poor. And what that means is that the prevailing accessibility challenges and the possibility of worsening these challenges begins with addressing the problem of uncontrolled urban expansion. The second recommendation, Professor Chair, distinguished guest, and is argued by Venta in 2011, and I share with that, that most people living in material poverty in African cities live in informal and slum settlements, many of which are located a long way from the centralized economic and social activity areas of the city. In instances where they are located more centrally, they cover vast areas of land, most of which lack any formal pathways or transport infrastructure. And this causes a special dislocation between key destinations such as employment centers, schools and hospitals, often leading to longer journey times. There is therefore the need to redevelop our informal settlements into sustainable communities, where access to basic socioeconomic facilities abound, thus reducing the need to travel substantially. What this means is that if you live in a neighborhood where all the essentials are available, then you don't have to travel. You only travel when it's essential. The Ministry of Works and Housing, Ministry of Local Government, Decentralization and Rural Development, and the Land Use and, Planning, Land Use and Special Planning Authority should drive this process. In addition to the preparation of the district medium-term plans and structure plans, which our MMDAs are engaging, I propose the preparation of local transport plans. Local transport plans, Professor Chair, distinguished guests, are strategic documents outlining policies for sustainable transport in our local areas. The aim of the local transport plans should be the development of a sustainable and inclusive transportation system that seeks to ensure travel time savings, reductions in travel costs, accessibility improvement, and reduce the negative impact of transport on the environment. The fourth recommendation is that the seeming lack of involvement of local authorities in the provision of public transport services has resulted in users of public transport services being captive and at the mercy of private operators. To help ensure that the needs of the traveling public are met and the interests protected, I recommend that local authorities begin to explore the possibility of partnering with the private sector to provide improved bus service within their jurisdictions. Strategic transport planning that is age and disability friendly should be the way for us to go and must be spearheaded by the Ministry of Local Government, Decentralization and Rural Development. There's also an urgent need for the government of Ghana through the Ministry of Transport to seriously implement public transport service schemes as one of the best ways to stabilize transport costs and particularly minimize the financial stress on lower income people, improved access, affordability, and mobility needs of the people. The case of Dar es Salaam, our friends in Tanzania, should inspire us as a country. Professor Chair, distinguished guest, Ghana as a country needs better integration of transport options, including modes for active travel. The Ministry of Transport and Roads and Highways must ensure that newly developing road infrastructure projects as a matter of priority must be integrated by including the infrastructure needed to support cycling and walking. 
in our city. Aside from the health benefits associated with active, being active, it will in the long run reduce government expenditure on healthcare as well as provide a sustainable means of travel for most of our people. The government of Ghana is working to achieve the SDGs. At KNUST, we have SDG policy champions. I wish to state emphatically that our quest to achieve the SDGs will become a mirage if we don't pay particular attention to the incidence of transport poverty. This is because transport poverty will become Ghana's latent cause of missing out on the SDGs. And to forestall this, I propose the development of a national poverty, so transport poverty index led by the partnership between the ministries of transport and local government decentralization and rural development and academia to measure how far our various MMDAs are addressing transport poverty. The National Transport Poverty, poverty Index will also be used to rank the various MMDAs, variables such as transport access, transport mobility, transport affordability, exposure to transport externalities, and inclusiveness could serve as the basis for developing such an index. The development and use of the National Transport Poverty Index will be the first of its kind globally and will serve as a useful tool in shaping transport investment decisions in the future. And finally, the Ministry of Transport and Academia must begin studies leading to planning for Ghana's transport features related to electric vehicles, automation vehicles, and mobility as a mass, and other innovations to work in our local context. Professor Chair, distinguished guests, this recommendation may seem far from us, but the emergence of ride-hailing services such as Bolt and Uber, just to mention a few, should remind us of the global nature of the world we are in today and the need to prepare for the future. And to end, Professor Chair, ladies, distinguished guests, permit me to take this opportunity to thank some people. The fact that I'm standing here today on this platform was made possible by many. Unfortunately, I'm constrained by this lecture time to thank each one of you individually, and please forgive me for that. But I would like to highlight a few. I wish to thank the Vice Chancellor of KNUST, Professor Mrs. Rita Kusia Dixon, and past Vice Chancellors in the persons of Professor William Otuele, Professor Christy Obridanso, and the Pro-Vice Chancellor, Professor William Ellis Owusu-Dabo, and past Pro-Vice Chancellors for the advice they have given me. A special thanks to the Registrar, Mr. Andrews Christy Boatin, for the support he's offered me throughout this journey. A special thanks goes to my mentor and Professor Chair Distinguished Guest, who permits me to ask Emeritus Professor Christy Adafa to please stand. Please feel free to This chairman, distinguished guest, Professor Kwesia Dakwa, who is also a former vice chancellor of this great university of ours, was the one who broadened my horizon in planning education and also helped me in supervising me during my transport planning journey as a PhD student. Prof, after first encounter by following Mr. George Seguadi, whom you asked after your lecture if I understood what you taught. 
And his subsequent answer, and I quote, Prof, please wait till we write the exams and see. Okay. Made me made a special pledge to work hard and strive to excel in my chosen path. Back then, I saw a mentor who did not believe in my capacity to excel in his class, but still gave me a chance. I believe this view of yours, Professor Emeritus, started to change during your supervision of my PhD studies, and perhaps may have changed completely today. Thank you very much. I also want to thank my provost, Professor John Tiabugri, and his colleague provosts and directors, past provost of CABE, the dean of my faculty, and the University Appointment Promotion Committee for their trust in my abilities. A special thanks goes to all staff of the Department of Planning, both teaching and non-teaching staff, my head of department and colleagues. We have over the years become one great family, despite our individual differences. To my former lecturers at the Department of Planning, and I can see Professor Frani seated here, Prof, I want to thank you for all that you have done. A special thanks goes to Professor Emmanuel Kamaklu, who taught me urban economics during my third year as an undergraduate student and supervised my undergraduate project work. Prof Chair, distinguished guests, I want to say a big thank you, even though he's not here, to the memory of Professor J.Y. Koko. As HOD, he encouraged me to enroll in the Vice Chancellor's Staff Development Program and helped me organize my thoughts and my activities when my intended trip to the University of Newcastle upon Tyne fell through. To my past and present students, I say a big thank you. You have shaped my thinking, understanding, and knowledge in different ways and contexts. I appreciate all priests, including past and present chaplains and assistant priests of the KNUS Catholic Chaplaincy, and all my spiritual advisors. Thank you for your counsel and spiritual guidance. And several people have critically read through earlier versions of this lecture. Many, many thanks for your valuable and constructive comments. At this point, I also want to thank all the members of who helped in organizing this event, particularly the chair, Prof, of the Public Lecture Committee and the members, and also my in-house committee headed by Professor Daniel Dia for the work done. Without you, I guess I will still be struggling with organizational activities. To my valuable friends, especially Nanaya, Tokuminta and Irene Autry. You have shown that social ties are disproportionate, correlated to the frequency of meetings and answering one's phone call. You have become part of my family. Thank you for all the love, understanding, encouragement, and cheerful moments together. Our bond will never be broken. Special thanks go to all my in-laws for everything we have gone through. And to you, Dr. Mrs. Ivy Bonnie. Remember, we have a deal. I'll be waiting patiently for the day you will stand here to give your lecture. And that is my challenge to you. A big thanks to my parents, especially my father, old soldier, Mr. Antonio Buensi, and Mrs. Margaret Buensi of blessed memory. You taught me to become independent early on in life. You insisted that the only way you allow me to play football was to excel in school. By this, you inculcated in me 
the enabling factors to pursue all kinds of aspirations, resulting in what I am today. To my siblings, Reverend Father Raphael Buensi, Gabriel, Mary, and Emmanuel, thanks for the love, prayer, and support throughout this journey. To my wife, Natalia, I say a big thank you for all that you have done since I began this journey. I can't thank you enough, but the Most High will surely reward you for everything you have sacrificed for me. And finally, to my beautiful children, Anthony, Maria Agata, and Raphael, I am immensely grateful for your love, understanding, and the many questions you have asked along the line. <laughs> Combining my career at KNUST with its many missions and family life has not been ideal for you but we have been able to grapple with life challenges and somehow manage. Without you, I would not be standing here today. I'm proud and happy to be with you. Thank you, my angels. Professor Chair, distinguished guests, before I end, I call something a take home. And the take home is essentially what who is transport for. And I want to say, if you are here and you have no suitable transport options available to you, then you are transport poor. <laughs> if you are here and you have a transport system that is not reliable, then you are transport poor. If you have a transport system or you spend on transport services more than 10% of your earnings, monthly earnings, then you are transport poor. If you are here and to assess the basic essentials of life, you travel more than 60 minutes to do that, or more than 1.6 kilometers, then you can be classified as being transport poor. And finally, if you, the mode that you use is dangerous, unsafe, or unhealthy, then you are transport poor. And I say this by concluding that without the grace of God and without his blessings, I will not be standing here. Permit me, Professor Chair and distinguished guests, to also thank all of you here present for gracing this occasion. May God bless us all. Please be seated. Ladies and gentlemen, the professorial inaugural lecture on the topic transport poverty in Africa, planning for our mobility futures in an era of sustainability, has been delivered by the venerable Professor Michael Poku Boisi. A round of applause once again. So as part of our tradition to induct him into the College of Professors, his gown he's wearing now will be taken off and be robed in a new gown. I respectfully invite the Vice Chancellor, who is the chairperson for this program, the Pro Vice Chancellor, the Registrar.